This morning's scriptures from Philippians chapter 1 and we're reading from verse 12 to the, to the end. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Daryl. For those of you who are here for the first time and you haven't met us, <clears throat> we are working our way through the book of Philippians, and it's a fantastic book, and I encourage you to pre-read it <clears throat> Excuse me, each, uh, each week. Some of you are doing it, I know, in life groups, and you will be amazed at how Paul... Paul's themes, he revisits his themes very cleverly. It's almost like he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we again come to your word, we thank you for it. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, unless you open our eyes, our hearts and grant understanding to our minds, these will simply be words. But when you do your work, they become your power operating in our lives. So, Lord, speak in such a way that we may hear and respond. We ask that you might 
give us this blessing for Jesus' sake and in his name we ask it. And everybody said? <clears throat> so this morning, which is true of most mornings, you will um, be reminded of some things that you already know, uh, but that you may have forgotten and so it'll be good to be reminded of them. There'll be other things that you will hear, I am sure, that you'll go, oh, I'd never seen that before, or I didn't see that, it'll be new to you. And so hopefully that'll also get your attention and God will speak to you through it. I encourage you to have your both minds open to hear what God wants to say to you personally, but also to be evaluating that what I say is in fact true to the text of Scripture. God's Word is the, the Bible, is that which is infallible, I am not infallible. <clears throat> regardless of what other people tell you. <laughs> I'm just a human, just like you. And God has given me the responsibility of sharing with you what I understand his word to be saying. And like I said, I don't always get it right. <clears throat> there was once, I remember, I got something wrong. So if you hear me say something you don't agree with me and you think it's important enough, then come and chat, correct me. Um, I don't bite, not on the first visit, and then we can learn together. I asked my wife this, uh, this question this week. I often ask Rhonda questions as I'm preparing a passage or something, and just to get her perspective on things, and she corrects my outlines, and so she's really... The, no, she's not, no. <laughs> I asked her this question. Why do you breathe? It's a pretty confronting question, isn't it? Why do you breathe? Can I tell them your answers? Too late. I breathe because I want to live. Why do you want to live? Because God made me and God made me for a purpose. It's a pretty good answer, isn't it? That's her Rhonda's answer. And I said, why did God make you? And then she said, what would you say? And then she said, to know him and to make him known, to love him and to love others. I gave her six out of ten for that answer. <laughs> oh, what's your answer? You may not do as well. To know him and to become like him and to make him known by life and by lip. That's a ten out of ten answer. To love him with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and to love others as I love myself. So, question, how's that going? The Apostle Paul summarised, why does he breathe? Why is he here? Why is he alive? To live as Christ. Four words. Summarises the purpose and the meaning of his life, his perspective on all his circumstances. And in this wonderful passage you're going to see Paul's perspective influence his responses and his attitudes to whatever life dishes up for him and he maintains focus to live is Christ how we live has an impact on how we respond thank you the apostle Paul says for me to lit no go back one is Christ and to die is gain. Notice the word live and the word die are simply separated by a comma. We live, comma, 
we die. Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached six messages on this passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. I read all six of those this week. One of them was really good. <laughs> They're all good. But particularly on verse 21, he says some of these things. To live and to die. Just simply separated by a comma. How brief the distance between life and death. Our life on earth is but a journey to the grave. The pulse that preserves our being is beating our death march. Spurgeon says, we all die. Lambs grazing in the fields and cattle's eating grass are simply being fattened for death. Even trees, mighty trees, are filled. Empires rise and flourish and fall and are gone. Even stars die, those mighty orbs of the cosmos. But death is not the end. There is a land where death does not exist, where graves are never dug. To reach it, these are my words now, we must be born twice and die once. We must be born twice and die once. And for those who arrive in the land without death, then death is gain. For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. And for him, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. That's the theme for this morning and the theme of this passage. Believers in the Lord Jesus didn't always live for Christ. We're all born in sin. We're all born distant from God. But there came a point in our life, whether it was a process when we were young or an instant in our life, there came a time when we submitted to him, where we confessed our sin, where we said we were sorry for the things we were done. We fled to him out of fear of punishment and judgment and asked for his forgiveness. We were born again to use Jesus' words. And then we begin to live for Christ and his Holy Spirit enters us and empowers us and enables us. And the Apostle Paul can summarise that with this wonderful verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. To live is Christ. Not all people... And not all professing Christians live for Christ. They live for gold, they live for wealth, they live for learning, they live for glory, they live for fame. <clears throat> Question, can you honestly say, if you name the name of Jesus, if you say you're a follower of his, can you honestly say for you to live is Christ? We all stumble, we all fall short, but this is the goal and this is the way that it needs to be for us. This passage does indeed call us on. I thought of an exercise that'll be pretty difficult to do. Let's take a sheet of paper, A4 size, <clears throat> divide it and write the times down, maybe in 15-minute increments down the side of the page, I'll go from your perspective, and then simply put Monday to Friday, five columns, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then every 15 minutes, fill it in. What did you do in that 15 minutes? Well, you're going to get up, you're going to have breakfast, you're going to you know, kiss the wife and the kids and go to work if you're a guy or whatever it is, if you're a girl, you'll do the same thing, get up and go to work or you'll be housebound or whatever it is you do. And then throughout the day, keep filling it in. And to become conscious of, did I think of Christ? Am I orientated towards him? Is he my perspective in all that I do? Because the reality is we're all busy. We're all distracted. Well, to live is Christ means that he is the filter that I see every instance 
<coughs> excuse me, and circumstance of my life through. I'm driving the car as Jesus would want me to. I'm down at Woolworths and I'm paying for my groceries. And <coughs> when I go to when we go to Woolworths, we um, we don't go to the checkout check. Though Rhonda does sometimes. I don't. I go to the one where you, you know you scan it yourself and you pack your own bag. They're flopping annoying, those machines. They always get it wrong. They go, beep. You wait one second. Please put the item in the bag. I'm trying. (laughs) And you put it in the bag and it says it again. Please, it can't feel it because it's too light. So I pick it up and I just put it in a little more significantly. (laughs) Even when I'm doing that. I'm doing that as a follower of Jesus. I'm doing that as his representative. People are watching. One person in particular is watching, wondering how I'll respond and react. In everything I do, in every situation I am in, I am a follower of him. And for the Apostle Paul, he, had, he was able to say, for me to live is Christ. I am looking for Jesus in each and every situation, in all of life's ups and in all of life's down. Anyway, I commend that exercise to you. Draw up your page, draw up your week, and just evaluate, just for a week. See how you go. And it'll raise your awareness of how busy and distracted you are and how we don't have a lot of time to actually focus on Jesus. And the Bible certainly says to us, Colossians 3, 17 and verse 23 as well, that in all that you do, do it as to the Lord. You're working for him, not for your earthly master or employer. And if Jesus is our life, if he is first, patience, demonstrate godliness. Here we go. If Jesus is first, I heard somebody, I came across this during the week, then he'll be first in our finances, he'll be first in our interests, he'll be first in our... Our interests are our hobbies and leisure activities and everything else. He'll be first in our relationships. We'll have appropriate relationships and we'll be looking to be able to share the gospel with people who don't yet know him. He'll be be aware of him and our families and neighbours and all our relationships. He'll be first in our... Yes, when I get his schedule. Do you want to do it, Stan? Thanks. And troubles. First in our schedule. Most important thing, our relationship with him. Beginning of the day, during the day, end of the day, focusing on him, talking to him, bringing him in, turning to him in prayer, whispered prayers, arrow prayers, telegram prayers, and first in our troubles. Difficulties happen, first point of call is to go to the Lord Jesus. And if Jesus is first in our life, then the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the characteristics of the Lord Jesus will be manifest in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control if any of those are lacking reposition jesus in your life take him out of the back seat if you're here a couple of weeks ago take him out of the back seat and put him in the front seat and then listen to his instructions the fruit of the holy spirit overflows from our relationship with him now in this passage the apostle paul gives us that in verse 21 which is i'm seeing as the key filter for this whole passage if Christ is our life, then five consequences will flow out of it. Thanks, Dan. <clears throat> number one. No, number one. <laughs> Stan. Mm. 
thinkest thing? To die is gain. That's what he says in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's just talk about that quickly, but don't jump over it. It's a significant verse and it's a significant truth. If we live for Christ, then dying is gain. We all die. Good and bad, the righteous and the evil, young and old, believers and unbelievers, the best and the worst, we all die. But to die is not gain. To die is loss. When you die, what do you lose? Everything. You lose your wealth, you lose all your goods and possessions, you leave behind your homes, your gardens, your cars, your loved ones, your family and your friends, everything. Death has got to be loss. And yet the text says, Paul says, to die is gain. Well, it's because he takes the telescope of faith and he looks beyond this world into the unseen world and he sees through the eye of faith that those who are in Christ, death is gain. Because what did they lose here? They lost everything, but it's all replaced and improved and better there. You might leave your home here, but you have a new home there. If you look here, here is the corpse, but there is the spirit. Here is the clay, there is the soul. For the Christian, for the person who is in Christ, for the person for whom Christ, their life is Christ, then death is gain. Could be poor here, you'll be rich there. You could be unwell here. You'll have new bodies and you'll have outstanding health there. Here you may have struggles and groans, and we all do, that there are none there if we are in Christ. <clears throat> now we see through a mirror or into a mirror rather dimly and darkly, Paul says, but then face to face. The Bible also says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and the mind hasn't imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So question before we go any further, do you believe in the Saviour? <clears throat> Are you in Christ? Are you living for him? Can you testify this morning that to live is Christ? It's your responsibility to decide. You get to choose. God in his sovereignty requires and allows you to choose. If you reject it, if you reject what I'm saying to you this morning, that on the last day when the Lord Jesus, who was the righteous judge, calls you to account, then he'll probably call me as well as others to witness against you that you have heard. And then the Lord Jesus will say to you, if you are not in Christ, then it's time for you to go. It's up to you to receive and be saved or to reject, but then to take the responsibility for it. It's a serious choice. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the first thing that comes out of this passage. Second thing, whatever happens to us in this life, if we are in Christ and living for him, will surely advance the gospel. This is Paul's perspective, verse 12. It's a great verse, underline it, memorize it. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on, as a result... It's become clear to the whole palace guard, the Praetorian guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my situation, most of the brothers and sisters have been increased in confidence and they're bolder to talk about Jesus without fear. What happened to the Apostle Paul? 
He had just come through a couple of years of setbacks, of obstacles. He was illegally arrested in Jerusalem. <clears throat> he was misrepresented in court. They lied about him. He was incorrectly identified by the authorities as an Egyptian terrorist. It wasn't him. He was falsely accused by Jews in another trial. He got entangled in red tape in the political, uh, Roman political machinery. And on a transfer from Caesarea, Jerusalem to Caesarea to Rome, he was shipwrecked and delayed three months on Malta. Eventually, when he arrived in Rome, he was again delayed for two years under house arrest. And then he was moved from house arrest to the Praetorian Guard cell. All because he went to the temple. All because he went to Jerusalem to deliver money to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. He was warned that there would be consequences if he did this. But he did it. He doesn't see himself as a victim. He sees himself as an ambassador for Christ. There's no resentment. There's no licking of his wounds. There's no pity party. And here he is now. I'm sure going into this, he didn't have this perspective. But now looking back, he has this perspective. And it's the perspective he wants us to get as well. He is now chained with an iron cuff to an imperial guard with one arm. And he sees this as an opportunity, not as a restriction. He continued to simply live his life authentically as a follower of the Lord Jesus. He prayed three times a day out loud. He read the scriptures out loud. He memorized and quoted scripture. He spoke to visitors. He dictated letters. He prayed for people who came to see him. He had a captive audience. He wasn't chained to the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier was chained to him. That's how Paul says it. And he even says, it's become clear through the whole palace guard. The palace guard is the Praetorian guard. It's the same thing. <clears throat> it's the Caesar's personal guard. It's the ones whom he is directly in charge of. If you've seen the movie Gladiator with that magnificent theologian Russell Crowe, have you seen that? <laughs> Remember the scene in the arena at the end where the Wacom Phoenix, you know, the emperor comes down and these guys come out, these guards, and uh, form a, a square around him? Have you seen the movie? You know what I'm talking about? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Well, I was enjoying the illustration quite a bit. That's the Praetorian Guard. These are the elite soldiers. These are, the, these are the SWAT team, if you like, or whatever the equivalent is uh, in the army. There was about nine to 10,000 at a minimum. In some of the emperors, it went up to 16. By Paul's time, they, scholars estimate, it's around about the 9,000 mark, may have been 10, 9,000 people. It's become clear to the whole Praetorian Guard, 9,000 soldiers, that this guy is in chains because of his commitment to Christ. And the Apostle Paul writes, I want you to know that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The gospel hasn't been hindered. It's actually advanced in a situation that we would never have gone into. God opens the doors. And so that's the perspective for us to have. <clears throat> that if Christ, if to live is Christ, then whatever happens to us, it's an opportunity for the gospel to advance. You're driving home, you get a flat tire. It's disappointing and it's upset. It's an opportunity for the gospel to... How is that an opportunity for the gospel to advance? Well, you don't know. If you're an RACQ driver, you don't know who he is, what you might testify to him. You're not in RACQ? Well, sucks to be you. <laughs> Have to change your own tire. 
maybe a Christian from Sunnybank District Baptist Church will drive past and they'll stop and they'll help you. Good luck with that. <laughs> if you've got kids, they're in the back seat. How do you respond? It's an opportunity to advance the gospel. You're planting a seed to those who are around you and to those who are connected with you or to you. Quite literally, like Paul, he was connected to this Roman soldier. So to your kids, your family, your friends, your neighbours. How you behave and how you live is an opportunity. God is using it. God has placed you where you are. God allowed this terrible thing to happen to the Apostle Paul, terrible from our perspective. But God was saying, Paul, I'm going to send you to jail. Because in jail, you're going to witness to all of these people that I can't get to any other way. So step up, buddy, and just be consistent. So Ken... Jesus has put you in the situation he wants because he wants you to advance the gospel. Step up. John, wherever you are, Jesus wants to advance the gospel through you. Now you're all panicking. I hope he doesn't pick me. <laughs> <clears throat> what, did the Apostle Paul, uh, what did Jesus say to the Apostle Paul? Paul, live for me. Just be authentic. Just be real. And just let me use you in the situation you're in to advance the gospel. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? And it's a perspective that encourages us and that is there for us. Verse 12 is a great verse for us to remember. And notice that um, the Apostle Paul not just advanced the gospel with the non-believers, he also advanced the gospel amongst the believers. They were encouraged by his responses that they became more bold and more confident in sharing the gospel with others. It was like a ripple effect. You're writing a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. People read what you write, whether faithless or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Your kids are watching you. Your grandkids are watching you. Your neighbours are watching you. The Lord Jesus is watching you. If to live is Christ, then whatever happens will advance the gospel. Let's move on. Number three. Thanks, Stan, I can't. This thing's flat or something. It's not my fault, obviously. And the most important thing, if to live is Christ, and the most important thing is that the gospel is being presented, not just spoken about, but demonstrated by life. The most important thing. The Apostle Paul, you will note in these verses, says, verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, they do it with verse 17, selfish ambition, not sincerely. They do it to afflict me. They do it under pretense. It wasn't all positive responses. Some Christians got really motivated. The Apostle Paul, who was a dynamic Christian leader, is suddenly incarcerated. He's taken out. And yet some Christians saw that as an opportunity for them to advance their ministry, to increase their reputation, to grow their churches. And so that's what they did. And the Apostle Paul got informed of this that they were doing it to benefit themselves and they were also doing it for some of them actually to cause him trouble, to irritate him, make him jealous. And the Apostle Paul thought about it and what was his conclusion? Well, the important thing is that Christ is being presented, whether from false motives or true. In that I rejoice, that Christ is being presented Think about that. 
As you think about some other mega churches and some of their preaching and some of what I would certainly say is nonsense of what they present as truth, is Jesus being presented? Is he presented as Lord and as Saviour? If they're doing that, and just get over the rest of it. Rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being presented. That's Paul's attitude. Because that's the most important thing. These people who, you know, they were doing it to make money and they were doing it to grow bigger churches and to increase their reputation and they were wearing the lotus togas, I'm sure, and riding in the best chariots and doing all of that. Name one of them now. Don't know. We don't know any of them. They've passed from time to history (laughs) and into glory. Where they'll appear before the judge, where they will give an account. What will Jesus say to them on that day? Our focus, like Paul, is not to be on me, on us. It's to be on Jesus and on others. Is the gospel being presented? It's the most important thing. Our focus is not just now, but it's then. Christ is presented and in that I rejoice. If to live is Christ, then to die is gain. Whatever happens in our life, the gospel is going to be advanced. Maybe in little increments, but it's going to be advanced in people's lives. Seeds are planted. And the most important thing in our perspective is the gospel is being presented. Lived out. Number four. Help, Stan. Thanks. As long as you are in the body... It will mean, stand. <laughs> One more. One more. I'll stand it that way. Number four. Sorry. Can you do that? Do I have to do it? You want some help, Stan? Now, you haven't seen anything that's coming. If to live is Christ, and it will mean, as long as you're in the body, fruitful labor. Remember, that's what it's all about. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. It's God's will for us to, what? Bear fruit. And the Apostle Paul writes, what is it, verse 25? He's, he, he's wrestling. It's one of those passages, there's only a couple in the New Testament, where you see the Apostle Paul waffle. <clears throat> he normally writes quite clearly and quite densely. His, his words are filled with meaning. But in this passage, it's like uh, verse 19, I think it is. I hope I'm in the right spot. Uh, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but sufficient courage, Christ will always be exalted uh, in my life, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, he says, if I'm going to go living, if I'm going to go living in the body, on living in the body, then that'll mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I've got a desire to depart, be with Christ. Well, that's far better. But it's also necessary for me to remain in the body. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He's wrestling because his future is uncertain, as is ours, and it's a very real possibility of him that he could get the death penalty. And for him, he's like, <clears throat> like many a Christian martyr of saying, being threatened with, we're going to kill you, and the response is, can't wait. 
To die is gain. To die is better. We know where we're going because to live is Christ. But if your life is wrapped up in family and work and career and hobbies, then to die is to leave it all. It's sad. That's why this perspective is so important for us. And for the Apostle Paul, he confidently says, if I stay in the body, as long as I remain in this life, it means fruitful labour for me because to live is Christ. And it also means because for me to live is Christ, it means those people who are around me, it's going to impact them and they're going to spiritually grow. They'll mature in Christ and they'll do it with joy. There used to be a lady who lived across the road. Her name was Sonia. Some of you know Sonia. Sonia has since passed away, moved and passed away. And I have rather a loud laugh. She could hear when I laughed across the road. One time, a thousand years ago, we went through a pretty stressful time in the church and I wasn't laughing too much. And then eventually we got out of that And I started laughing again. You know what she said to me? She said, I can tell that you're back. I said, how do you know? She said, I can hear your laugh. You never know. It's amazing how often in the New Testament the word joy is used as followers of the Lord Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness. You can measure your spirituality by how joyful you are. It's an indicator. And the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and it means I'm going to stay and you're going to grow spiritually and with joy. It'll be exciting for you. I better move on. That's the fourth consequence of coming out of it. And I should point out to you, please note verse 19, that for the Apostle Paul to live is Christ, that's true, but he needed help. He wasn't just a spiritual dynamo who could do it by himself. He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus, praying in the Spirit, go together to help us live for Christ and to have these consequences in lives, spiritual labour and so on. I hope I haven't jumped over that too quickly. Number five, verse 27. Um, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the fifth consequence. If you live for Christ... And with Christ as the centre and purpose and meaning of your life, then you will, as a consequence, live in a way which is appropriate to the gospel. You'll be a citizen of heaven living on the the colony on earth. You'll be reflecting Jesus. You will be opposed, the Apostle Paul says, verse 29. You will be opposed, but he encourages us To live worthy of the gospel is to be united. Paul says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Side by side, arm in arm, facing the same way together, united. That's what it means to live worthy of the gospel. Satan's plan is to divide us to isolate us, to confuse us, to scatter us. You can expect to be opposed as you follow Jesus in this life. In fact, we don't have time to go into this, but he says down in verse um, 
29, I think it is. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to you. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege. So expect to be opposed. But Paul says, endeavour to be united. That's where this word comes in, phalanx. Nicky Gumbel, in a couple of his sources, but certainly in his little commentary on Philippians, he talks about how he thinks what the Apostle Paul is referring to is standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing the same way together, is like a Roman military strategy. Eight men across, eight men deep. Shields up, it now forms a wall around the outside. And the ones on the inside, the shields are above them. You're now like this box. Spears are protruding out or up. Phalanx. And they would move in any direction. They would move forward or they could even turn and move this way. They became an impenetrable military force. This is what Philip of Macedon commenced and that's how he invaded and conquered Philippi. This is what the Romans copied. Stand firm, united, moving together. That's what he's saying is the picture of the church in this world. Don Carson says that conduct worthy of the gospel is above all conduct that promotes the gospel. Well, that's true. And I like, this is what Charles Swindle said because it's relevant for us. Charles Swindle, who was a senior follower of the Lord Jesus, I think he's still alive, he must be in his 80s, and he might very well be older, and you may hear him on 96.5. He says this, over the years, <clears throat> only a few things are worth going to the mat for. There's only a few things worth losing your job over, significant change in your life, only worth going to the mat for, and those things always centre on the gospel and its associated truths. Not defending yourself, not straightening out other people's motives. All of that stuff, Charles Swindle says, it's shrug it off, so what? <clears throat> Let God sort it out. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Think about that. Just quickly. To live a life worthy of the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel is simple. It's uncomplicated and it's unadorned. It's true. The gospel is gentle. Come to me. Receive my forgiveness. The gospel is loving. No greater love is anyone for somebody else than to lay down their life for their friends. The gospel is, the gospel is full of mercy. The gospel is also holy. It does not excuse sin. While it will pardon it, it will also hold to account. So we, to live lives worthy of the gospel, are to be truthful, gentle, loving, merciful and holy. To live a life worthy of the gospel is to live those attributes. Stand side by side in selfless humility, but stand face to face against the opponents in calm endurance. Well, let's go to the next slide. If you jump through the verses like I have several times this week, <clears throat> and you look at the verses in this order, verse 21, the most important part, for us to live is Christ, verse 12. So that whatever happens, whatever happens is actually going to advance the gospel. 
verse 27. Whatever happens to you, live a life worthy of the gospel. Verse 18. Because the most important thing, what matters, is that the gospel is being presented. And verse 25. As long as we are in the body, it means fruitful labour and progress and joy in the faith. Erase 25. No, don't erase it. That must be autocorrect. That would not be my fault. That would be... I'm going to jump over all of that and put that into another sermon. Let me conclude this. To live is Christ. So therefore, to die is gain. Whatever happens, advance the gospel. The most important thing is the gospel is being presented. As long as we're in the body, fruitful labour, progress and joy. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and then I'm going to pray. Your life as a Christian should make unbelievers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make unbelievers question their disbelief in God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live life to the full and to take every opportunity to spread the message of Jesus as well as to be the message of Jesus in all of our responses to life circumstances. In order, Lord, that we could testify, for me to live is Christ. And Lord, flowing out of that, so that unbelievers might question their disbelief in God, that believers might grow progress in spiritual maturity with joy. And Lord, so that we can experience fruitful labour and helping others to enjoy the same. And then, Lord, death, which is certain and which is coming, will be gain for us. In your name, for your honour and for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.